Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical lead or a practice manager and your primary care network to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to deliver some of your projects and network-based services, I would absolutely love to help you. So come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Now let's jump into this week's episode. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. On today's episode, I am talking with Jane Vance. Jane is a pharmacy technician, and she's also a trainer within the company Dispex. And Dispex are a leading provider of training courses, products and services for dispensing general practices. Now, there are approximately 700 practices where they dispense their medications from. And naively and rather embarrassingly, I didn't know general practice could dispense. All of the practices that I have been to either have a pharmacy next door or very close by or I'm on the doorstep of Sainsbury's or I can go to Tesco. So I'm not in a a rural or semi-rural area where those practices exist. So I was a bit like, come on to the podcast. I want to know more. And one of Jane's colleagues said to me, which was why I wanted this interview was, I think dispensing practices are a bit of a dying breed. And that is what we explore on the podcast. I love speaking to Jane. She's very nervous. She didn't need to be. She was absolutely amazing. And she said, look, Tara, we're a business within a business. And I was like, that's exactly why you're on the podcast, because I love speaking to people that have got that business mindset. We also talked about the culture of Jane's practice. It is nurse led. What the impact of COVID-19 has had on their practice. We talked about the difference between a pharmacist technician and a pharmacist. And we just talked about the new normal. I hate that term, but we did talk about the new normal. And in Jane's practice, the new normal for the foreseeable future is that their general practice doors stay closed, even though the practice is open, but to reduce the footfall, to keep the staff safe to keep patients safe. There are still lots of measures to only see patients when it is absolutely necessary. Enjoy and I will see you in the next episode. Hi Jane, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yes. Thank you. So it would be really good if you could give my listeners a bit of a sense of your background and what you do today. Okay, so as a background, I work for Boots the Chemist from 1990 and I qualified with Boots the Chemist as a dispenser with them doing a two-year course. Then I worked for head office from Boots for a little while doing a couple of seconded positions before just working at Boots in Stratford and Avon full time, running the dispensary. 
and then I was very lucky to be able to secure my current role in 2001 at Rother House Medical Centre as dispensary manager, which is where I am to date with doing a role with Dispex as a supplementary position. So what's Dispex? I'm a training and support company for dispensing doctor's practices. It provides really, really good training in small groups so that people get to know each other and you can actually discuss different topics surrounding dispensaries. So thanks for that. So how we got put in touch is your colleague Jane. Jane and I had a conversation and she said something to me which really sparked my interest, which we'll talk about today on the podcast. And that was, so Dispex supports dispensing general practices. And she said, dispensing practices are a bit of a dying breed. And I thought that was just, it was really interesting. We had a really good conversation about it. And I just thought, I would like to improve my understanding, my knowledge. I do of a lot of pharmacies and sometimes, especially in the land of primary care that we operate in and primary care networks and with flu season coming up, there is always this, what does the pharmacy do? What does the practice do? Can they do both? What's the difference? So if we start with, I know it seems simple to you, but to not everybody, what is a dispensing practice? Okay, historically, if we sort of jump back a little bit, historically doctors were in villages and they were able to just dispense their medications to their patients that lived locally. So that's where it's come from historically. They're not all villages would have a pharmacy. You know, we are going back a little while now. So what happened was that a lot of rural doctor surgeries were able to then set up a dispensary and they were able to dispense medication to the people living close by and they were able to come into the doctor's practice to get their prescriptions and not have to travel to a pharmacy. As the world of pharmacy is ever-changing, there are lots and lots of pharmacies and online pharmacies, but several, probably about 700 dispensing practices now, I think, in England and Wales, where we are able to provide a dispensing service to patients. So we're not a pharmacy at all. We don't have pharmacists on the premises. So we can't sell your over-the-counter products. We can only dispense. So we dispense under the umbrella of the dispensing doctors taking the full responsibility for our work. So we can dispense to our rural patients. So, for instance, I'm in Stratford-on-Avon, which is semi-rural. So I can't dispense to any of my patients living within town. They would get their prescriptions from a pharmacy. But we can dispense to patients living more than 1.6 miles from the nearest pharmacy. That is all our local villages. And I know people now, it is easy to get into places, but they still do like the fact that they can come into the doctor, they can see the doctor, they can hand over their prescription when they're seen, and they can have it there and then. So we do, I still think, provide an essential service for these patients. And I think we provide a very good service for these patients. Now, I know I said that we don't have a pharmacist in the building. All the staff that we should now, we should all now be trained up to an MVQ level two equivalent. So actually we've got an awful lot of experience and we would only do things within our remit, if that makes sense, as dispensers and dispensing technicians. So when you say you are all trained to MVQ level two, that is Mm -hmm. a... That is a recognised training course level it's mvq level two in pharmacy services so it allows us to dispense drugs in accordance with the law and accordance with dispensing doctors best practices 
Now, in addition to that, some of us are trained higher. I'm actually the equivalent of an MVQ3, which is probably on a par with a pharmacist, but I, I haven't done a pharmacy degree. Okay. But I've got years of experience and I'm registered with the General Pharmacy Council. So I am actually qualified in my own right as a dispensing technician. Okay. Do you have any, you don't have any pharmacists within your practice? We have a clinical pharmacist now. That, that's a new role that's been developed. So clinical pharmacists are really, really good. They actually come in, they've been around for a while and a lot of them are prescribing pharmacists. Clinical pharmacists have now been taken on board by practices and by the CCGs to help the doctors with their medicines management roles. So we've been doing a little bit of that, but obviously I'm not a pharmacist and that's fine. I can only do my role up to a certain level. So the clinical pharmacist is the step between myself and the doctor and they're able to see patients and they're able to do medication reviews with patients and help and support us in the dispensary, although they have no direct, they don't work directly with us, if that makes sense. They don't come into the dispensary and, and check anything. Okay. We, we are run by ourselves, but they're there for any help and support. And I've been very grateful for the support of our clinical pharmacist. Is there a natural career progression for a pharmacist technician? Would you then go on to be a pharmacist? You could do. There isn't really a natural progression. It's a very strange one. I've just been, I've been very lucky in my role in that I'm quite passionate about what I do. I work for Boots and I was quite happy working for Boots, but there's only so much you can do. So obviously when you work in retail pharmacy, everything you do is checked by a pharmacist. You're only dealing with those patients that walk into the pharmacy. So when a position came up in a dispensing doctor's practice, which gave me a little bit more responsibility, that's, that's great for me. I was able to help in the practice with audits and more clinical work that I really, really enjoy. But there isn't really a natural progression. If you want to sidestep, you'd have to look for another position, if that makes sense. Okay. Several dispensing technicians that work in retail move to hospital pharmacy because it gives them a, a wider range of skills. But no, there isn't really. It's a, it's a difficult one. You can go on to pharmacy, but that depends if you want to do a three, four year pharmacy degree, which I, I didn't want to. I, you know, I've, I've got family ties and roles and it's nothing I actually wanted to do. So what I do in my role fulfills what I, I want to do. And, it, you know, I do enjoy what I do. So when you recruit, is, does everybody in your practice get the opportunity to learn how to dispense? No, no, we, we wouldn't. No, I've got, in my little team, for instance, I've got four of us, including myself. The other three ladies are qualified dispensers. Two have been qualified within retail and they've moved from retail to dispensing practices. And the other lady has been there for quite some time, but I put her through her um, Buttercups dispensing course which leads to an MVQ level two. Okay. So no, you need to be trained to work in a dispensing practice. And if we were to take on, if we were to take on an apprentice, for instance, yes. yes, I would advertise in the practice, but there are some dispensers that are around that are qualified that would like to move from retail to dispensing doctor's practices. And I've just been lucky enough to recruit out of that pool of people before. Okay. So you said in your little team, how big mm -hmm. is your practice? Practice is big. Well, it, it's not super big, but it's big enough. We've got approximately, I did check, approximately 16,000 patients. It is a wide range, you know, a big practice. We've got nine partners, 
and about four other doctors and a large nurse team. And then we dispense, we, as I said before, we can only dispense to a certain number of patients. So we can dispense to approximately 1,800 patients that live rurally okay. from Stratford-on-Avon. And Dispex is the company. So when you're not in the practice, you are out or, well, we, you did go out until COVID <laughs> happened. You provide training and education and, to, and support to those practices. We do, yes. I do a course, say, once a month, once every two months. Other people do more, depending on what you want to do. But we offer a, a wide range of trainings from audits to controlled drugs to business management. And it's actually really nice because we, the way we do trainings is it's small groups and we're able, when, we, when we're able to do face-to-face trainings, and you can network within your area. So it would be a local, say, in a local hotel or a, or a local practice, even if, if a practice wants to have a training on its own. And then you know, a tutor like myself can go along, run a training course, get to know people, answer any queries, and try to put people at ease. And hopefully they can learn a lot more about dispensary. We can, we can learn from each other because I always find myself learning bits from other people as well when I do my courses. Do you think a dispensing practice is a dying breed? It's very strange because we're under a lot of pressure from retail pharmacies and online pharmacies as well. I think doctors find it incredibly difficult to make money. We are, we are a business. We're a business within a business. So doctors are finding it increasingly difficult to make money out of dispensing purely because of the restraints on drug companies and costs. So I think those practices that are, are out there that make it work, we're doing something right, if that makes sense. Some smaller practices would struggle in this current climate. I don't know if it's a dying breed, but we're certainly a smaller part of the overall, part of the overall healthcare group, if that makes sense. So if I lived in your area, mm-hmm. why would... Even though I lived in the radius. Mm. What, within town or out of town? Out of town. Okay, so if yeah. I was so part did... of your, yeah. your catchment area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would I choose to get my prescriptions from you guys versus, well, I'm going to go to the big Tesco. They've got a pharmacy and I can do my shopping and I can pick my okay. medicines up at the same time. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. It's very difficult. When, when a patient registers with us, if you've, say, moved into the area, you'd be registered, you'd be automatically put on our dispensing list. So if you had prescriptions, we would dispense it to you. I would like to hope that we would be offering you a, a really good service, good customer service, a prompt service. Sometimes in a pharmacy, you may have to wait a few days to get your prescriptions done because they're incredibly busy. We don't need to do that. We can do things pretty straight away. And I would like to think that we can offer a a friendly person to come and talk to. I think one thing that does lack in a big pharmacy, I'm not saying all of them, but I think it's the the personal touch, the the knowing the family, knowing what's going on. Whereas with us, for instance, the other day I I popped out, I had to deliver something for the local pharmacy because they didn't have a delivery driver. And it was just somebody I know, an elderly person I know, and she just wanted to have a chat. And it was like, it was a friendly person to go and have a chat to, if that makes sense. So I'm able to go that extra mile and it doesn't impinge on, on our business. It's just something that we do. Okay. I love that. I love that. So if you go back to your practice, 16,000, mm-hmm. which is quite yeah. big. Yeah. You, when we first met, you said that you were a nurse led practice. Yeah. Can yeah. you help 
Can you talk us through what that means? Because they do have quite a lot of GP partners and whether your nurses are partners and all of that jazz. Yeah, we are a large practice. We do have partner doctor partners. Nurses aren't partners. They are nurses in their own right. So I have five practice nurses, two asthma and COP trained nurses and two diabetic trained nurses. I have three healthcare assistants and one phlebotomist. So when I say it's nurse-led, the nurses are able to lead on the management of chronic diseases in the practice. So patients say for, for diabetic patients that need to be reviewed, we'll make an appointment with a practice nurse for their review. And the nurse is their first point of call. So they'll have their reviews with the nurse and, you know, changes can be made by the nurse or, or advice given. Obviously, if there's something the nurse can't deal with, we have a couple of doctors there that would have a speciality in diabetes, for instance. So that if there's a query the nurse can't deal with, they'll refer to the doctor. So similarly, with asthma and COPD, we've got two excellent nurses. The COPD nurse works in conjunction with a doctor with respiratory interest, and they run a regular COP clinic. COPD clinic rather so the nurses book all their own appointments they have all their own lists I mean in a, that's just two chronic disease areas we do dressings clinics immunizations INR testing for warfarin and we run a, a phlebotomy clinic as well um, within the practice albeit outside in the car park at the moment which is very strange so yeah the nurses are you know I think the mainstay of the practice and and very well respected and they work very very hard um, you know, the doctors are there, but the main chronic areas, that, that then frees up doctors, doesn't it, for acute conditions, which is how it should work. So when, at the beginning, you said the nurses are nurses in their own right and they're not partners. Yes. Do nurses get the opportunity to be partners? Not that I know of. I, I think I mentioned when I first met you that our practice manager is actually a registered nurse. Now, he's also a partner, but that is kind of a separate situation. But I think to be a GP partner is a big commitment. I don't know whether they ever have been, but at the moment, as it stands, none of our nurses, apart from our practice manager, is, is a partner in the practice, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. So you've got your big practice, you've got a wide team. Mm-hmm. In the, when thinking about your primary care network and you've got the additional roles reimbursement scheme, what roles are you particularly interested in adding to your practice? I don't know, actually, Tara. Sorry, I'm, I'm not okay. really... I, no, I don't know. I mean, we, most recently, we took on the clinical pharmacist. The two recent roles have been a clinical pharmacist. Yeah. And the other one has been a social prescriber, and she's been invaluable during the current That's corona so. crisis. So I don't know if they're talking about anybody else, but those are the two most recent roles. And we've actually got, again, we've employed an excellent social prescriber, and she's able to network patients different things the last few months have been very difficult for a lot of patients so that's been an excellent role to have in the practice but I don't know about anything else it's really good to hear because the National Association I know it may you may see this role slightly differently but the National Association of Link Workers released a report not that long ago saying lots of social prescribers and link workers well I suppose it was the term link worker that a lot of those are struggling within their practices and they're mm-hmm. struggling within their PCNs so it'd be really nice to hear why has that role been so invaluable especially during COVID what has this person done? 
I think I think she's just able to signpost people to different services. I've given her a couple of referrals, but she she'll accept referrals from all staff. So if you think somebody's struggling, you can just send her a text and she'll try and pick that up. So for instance, I, I know I've got one patient in particular that is he's had a stroke and he's been very lonely and hasn't been able to have any visitors particularly. So she's been able to sort out a befriending service and somebody's phoned, you know, phoned him to have a chat. That's just one example. I mean, there must be loads more, but I know that's just something that uh, that I've heard of, but there's got to be, you know, lots of different things. Mm-hmm. But mental health at the moment is, is horrible and people, for, for one reason or another, are feeling isolated. What has been the implication and impact of COVID so far on your practice? We've actually not had a major impact on it. We've, we've been open all the time, albeit with the surgery doors locked. Doctors have been working from home if necessary, but we've offered a full telephone, you know, so if people think they, they, need to, they need to speak to a doctor, they can phone in and a doctor will phone them back. We've taken on board the e-consult video calls, so that's been invaluable from doctors' points of view. From the dispensary point of view, nothing's changed. We've been there every single day. We've had a couple of people off sick, but nothing major, nothing like I was imagining in, in the very beginning. We've been very, very good, actually, I have to say. It's support of the practice as well. You know, if people have got issues or they're shielding or they're, they're older, the practice have been incredibly supportive of that. So lots of, you hear the term new normal, mm. <laughs> which is really annoying. I find myself saying it. I know. But what does your new normal look like in your practice? At the moment, the new normal is keeping the door, the surgery doors locked. If people want to come and pick a prescription up, they're ringing a number that's put on the front door and we'll bring the prescriptions out to the front door. We will then be with visors and gloves on handing those prescriptions out. Doctors and nurses are in full scrub, so full PPE. So, yeah, it is a bit scary for some people when they do have to come into the practice. And people obviously coming in now, we, we're, we're asking them to wear a mask as well. So it's a very, it's, it's just a very difficult one. You know, you, you go from one minute to be a very open practice and people are wandering in and having a chat to being totally closed. And I don't know how long that's going to carry on for in primary care. Certainly talking our practice about keeping the main doors locked probably till the end of the year so we can cope with the flu. I, I, I don't know. We, we, you know, we don't know how this is all going to pan out. Do you have a hot Did Yeah, we, well, we still do. We were offering that service for the whole CCG and that's been scaled down a wee bit but we do we've we're lucky enough that we've got a small side entrance to the practice and the, a nurse's treatment room and a doctor's room there so we are able to operate a sterile hot hub or a, you know so after each patient it's all cleaned down so yeah we we do have a hot hub or hot hub as the nurses keep calling it <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the main surgery door is, is where you know we see patients this may Difficult. sound very it is a compliment (laughs) I just want to say it's a compliment when I think of a rural practice Mm. I I just think of a small little practice you're looking at dot cotton here aren't dot 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 (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe not very innovative no we are that no. yeah the culture yeah. and how you work and your roles mm. and I don't know where maybe I have got it from 
I have got it from EastEnders. And I'm sorry if you are a, a rural general practice listening to this thinking, what the hell is she talking about? But I suppose that was, that's my perception. And I think what is really nice about this conversation, or you've just, you know, like I am completely and utterly wrong. And I think one of the things that you said when we first met, you were talking about the culture and how people have stayed in your organisation for a really, really long time. Yeah. Could you tell us more about that culture? Well, I was thinking about this. That was your, that was what, I mean, your list of the questions. And I was thinking about this. And I looked at the practice aim. And our practice, the surgery aim, is to be committed to providing high quality healthcare and education to all of our patients. Now, I think that's, that's our practice aim, our practice statement. But from a member of staff's point of view, I've been there for 20 years next year. And it's, it's actually a really lovely family environment to work in. Our practice manager, all the partners are very approachable. If you have a problem, you would go and see somebody. And I would like to think the same would be for my little team as well. You know, we've all been there a long time. My other colleague I've worked with has been there for nearly 30 years. You know, some people will move in and out. We've got apprentices that will move in and out. And I totally understand that. But for long-term serving members of staff, we've been there through thick and thin with the practice and they support us through various things as well. For myself, this is a bit of an aside, but they've been with me through illness, through losing my parents, through having a baby, you know, and it's, it's good to stay with them and it's good to be there and work for them. So it's lovely that you're so family orientated, but how does that culture lend to new members of staff? I think we're very supportive. Oh, in fact, I think we're incredibly supportive. We've run an apprenticeship program for quite a number of years now. So we have taken quite a few youngsters in as receptionists on reception, and they've learnt from the longer serving members of staff. And I've seen girls develop from coming in. It's their first job, you know, and it's actually quite a scary role being on reception, but they've grown and they've developed, and I've seen their confidence increase oh enormously it, it does work and I think we've got a man as a practice manager and I've got um, another and I, know, and I don't mean this to sound sexist in any way but actually having a mixture of, of male and female staff it really does help you know in your role you're able to have a bit of a banter but it's actually quite nice it's not an all-female organization if that makes sense no and I think sorry I didn't mean that to... no and we should I think I only know one other male practice manager Okay. So I think it is nice to show, you know, like there's diversity, but there's so there's a massive spectrum. And I think actually there it is predominantly female. I think it is. I mean, so. you think receptionists are ladies, aren't they? I've got we've got a male access manager and he's he's a he's absolutely a wizard on anything techie, so it's great because you know, a lot of us just don't know how to, to do things. Uh, and it, it just works. I can't put a finger on it. There's something in our practice that works. And I've had members of staff move in from other practices and they say what a difference it is. So I can't pinpoint it, but it does work. Thinking about the dispensing part of your practice, how mm. do you protect and if you can grow it? It's difficult to grow the dispensing part of the business. We dispense to those, as I said before, those patients that live in the outlying villages. And with Stratford being an up and coming area, there's new housing being put in all the time as there is everywhere so obviously when new housing is built in the outlying villages patients then would be on our dispensing list 
So we do try to maintain those patients. But as you said, if you're working in Stratford and you say you worked up by the local Tesco's, you might find it a far more convenient to go and collect your prescription from Tesco's. I can't argue with that. All I can say is, you know, if you want to use us, we will try and provide the best service possible. So it's a very difficult one to grow. I think the most important thing that I need that as dispensing practices we need to do is maintain those patients we've already got. So try not to lose those. Now, with the online pharmacies, a lot of people get emails. They, you know, you probably have them yourself from pharmacy to you or Echo. When when dispensing patients have said to us they're going to sign up for them, I just ask them, is this really what you want? Because they they don't realise that it's not a, a practice service, if that makes sense. They think it's something that we're initiating from the practice. It's difficult because I've had them through myself and you think, oh gosh, okay, that's something the practice is doing and it's not. They're very good at fishing. So we just try and maintain those patients that we've got. And obviously if there's a real issue and they don't want to collect them from us, that's fine. I totally understand. But we'll do our utmost to keep those patients. So we are recording in the summer how are you starting to have conversations about flu and winter and what that means for your practice and your patients? Yeah, yeah, we have to, flu, flu ordering is always a bit of a guesstimation. Um, the last couple of years, the local pharmacies have done a lot of flu vaccines. So that's taken that off what the practice has been doing. So with the onset of coronavirus, I just did a bit of a, a look and we've increased the amount of flu vaccines that we're going to do because I think people are going to either want one thinking it might help them against coronavirus I don't know but I think the biggest thing that we're going to have to overcome is to do flu vaccines normally we, we have full clinics on a Saturday so the practice is rammed so we're not going to be able to do that and as I sort of quickly highlighted on earlier we're doing blood tests out in the car park. So we're doing INR testing out in the car park. And I think one idea that has been sort of mooted at the moment is to have marquees mm-hmm. in the front garden and like a ticket system and a walk through flu vaccine clinic. But I, I don't know how it, that, that's all going to work. I mean, things seem to be changing on an almost daily basis. So I think we just have to see how it goes from week to week. But that's certainly the idea that's been mooted at the moment drive-through flu clinics that's a thing of the future isn't it <laughs> and soon it will just be that? i know um i've been involved in a practice in newham and they've got drive-through baby immunization clinics yeah so you know when patients they, they to be perfectly fair we've got a little area our practice manager's been very good he's converted the bike to storage with it's because it's a bike shelter into the new phlebotomy unit <laughs> so obviously with patient screens and and you know so the nurses are there and the, the nurses have been working brilliantly in whatever weather so yeah it's, it is working again like we said before it's the new normal isn't it when you said your potentially your doors are going to be you know like locked or closed mm. until you know the end of the year that feels like it's for a really long time it does it does but you know, you listen to the news and like I, I heard the local news yesterday and the cases have dropped, number of deaths have, lo- have dropped, but we still, we're not out of the woods with this yet at all. We don't know what's around the corner. You know, I I've, personally, I have friends in Melbourne, in Australia. Melbourne's being locked down again. We can't be complacent. We can't say, oh no, this is over. 
we have to really protect ourselves. If we don't protect ourselves and our staff, then we can't protect our patients. I, can't, I kind of think is that what, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. But, you know, we, we can't rest on our laurels and I don't think it's going away anytime soon. What piece of advice would you give to a struggling dispensing practice with your dispex hat on and also you know I love the fact that you said you know we're a business within a business this is why I set up the podcast because I I love it's great having conversations with people that say actually yeah we are you know like it's like a quasi business and it's the NHS and you know the patients aren't necessarily customers but actually with a dispensing practice you've got that business you need that business we do we do make money we do make money for the practice um we wouldn't be there if we don't make money for the practice if you're struggling just ask find out who your other local dispensing practices are because they are few and far between so within stratford i've got a few sort of five six so we are in touch with each other as dispensing managers not all the time but we know we're there we can contact each other by phone or email so ask ask for help And I think then on the other hand is attend training courses because the more training you get in, the more focus that you can have on that business and engage one of your doctors with the dispensary as well. You really should have a doctor that is interested in the dispensary and wants to move it forward and then they know what's going on. So yeah, ask and attend training courses. That's my my wisest words I can give you for today. (laughs) If people want to find out more about Dispex, where yeah. should they go? The first port of call is going to go to Dispex website, really. So if you haven't got their address, it's dispex.net. So if you haven't even heard of Dispex, please, please, please go to the website. So obviously at the moment, we're not doing face-to-face trainings, but, but, but we are in the process of trying to put together some webinar-type trainings, Zoom trainings that we're going to try and put forward in September so either go to the website first or if you, I don't know if you've got their telephone number, Tara. It's 01604-859-000. Thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate your time. That's all right. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you like what you hear, it would be great if you could give us a shout out on social media. You can find me on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram again at THC Primary Care or on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you really like it, it would be great if you left us an iTunes five star rating and review. And I will see you in the next episode. <laughs>